Today we're talking about hope and we're talking about fresh starts. Now, when I have the opportunity to chat with somebody about what's going on in their life, there's a common question I hear. Why did this happen? Why did this thing occur? I've heard it over and over and over again. And I think the people that ask me that question, what they want is for me to take them to some place in the Bible where they could read a few sentences and get significant clarity to put the pieces together in their minds to make logical sense of what's going on. Here's the challenge. It's not that that's a bad question. In fact, it's the most normal and obvious question you can ask when you're going through a challenge. When somebody you love is facing something and it's not something you can step over quickly, it's something that actually might stop you right where you are in your tracks. The question why is obvious, it's logical, it's where we all go. Here's the challenge for a pastor. The Bible doesn't spend a lot of time answering why challenging things happen to us. Doesn't. If you know a little bit about the Bible, you know that in the, in the Old Testament part of our Bible, there's a book called the book of Job. Job. If you don't know much about the Bible, you may have called him Job, which is fine. Uh, jo- Job it is. And, and Job is a story about a guy who had all kinds of horrific stuff happen to him. We're told he's a pretty good guy, so... Uh, the stuff that happened to him isn't a direct result of his behavior. There's other forces going on that he doesn't know about, and he experiences challenge after challenge after calamity after illness. People close to him are affected. And his question over and over and over again is, why? What, what's going on here? And that book is 42 chapters long in our Bible. So like 42 pages, not quite, but you get the idea. And you never get a clear answer why. Now, I don't know what you've been facing in the last few months. I don't know what the people you care about have been facing. But in the life of our church, there's been some, some real challenges, some, some difficulties. Just this Friday, I stood beside a family as they buried their 45-year-old mother. That, that's tough. And there are these two beautiful girls and a whole host of cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents, and to some degree, they all were trying to figure out why. We've seen people go through, like our video, job transitions. People have had to deal with illnesses. There are financial challenges that people didn't anticipate, maybe were beyond the scope of their full control, and they want to know why. Now, the question why isn't just a question we ask. It's a question that was asked in the New Testament as well. And so when Jesus had his followers around him, the people that he was building into, developing, we would call that making disciples of them. In fact, he was so good at it, we call them the the disciples, all right? When he he was in that, he, he had to regularly deal with the normal stuff that was happening in their life and help them understand it. And then sometimes the bigger stuff, the stuff that can stop you right in your tracks, And like us, their primary question was why. What I want to do today as we talk about fresh starts in our hashtag hope message series is I want us to deal just a little bit with the question of why, but then I want to take you to where the Bible tends to take people who are going through tough stuff. The Bible doesn't tend to. None of the literature in the Bible tends to park itself contemplating why for very long. It does something very different. I think it does something healthier. Not that why isn't understandable and even important. 
in the process. What, what the Bible first deals with is the emotion people are going through. And it deals with it honestly. One of the, the things I love about God's Word is that it lends, in my mind, credibility to itself because it deals very honestly with people's challenges. It doesn't sugarcoat them. It doesn't ask us to put on rose-colored glasses. It doesn't ask us to just have positive confession strong enough so that we can change the circumstances around us. No, when the Bible deals with rough stuff, it deals with it very honestly. And the emotions sometimes are are exceptionally raw. So in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the challenges of living in this world. They're kind of exploring the emotional side of it. And Jesus used these words on the screen. It says, I've told you these things, these things we've been talking about, so that in me you may have peace. And then he says, in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So Jesus has spent some time talking about the challenges of living life. What kinds of challenges? Well, not necessarily just in this passage, but when you read the words of Jesus, sometimes he talks about relational challenges that happen. When there's friction in a relationship and conflict is there and you're not sure what's going to happen. Jesus talks honestly about that. Jesus talks about the challenges of looking at your resources, your money, and saying, I don't have enough to meet my basic needs. Jesus talks directly and honestly about the emotions and the reality of that. There's a lot of stuff in Jesus' words about illness, death, eternity, family, your faith. I mean, it's all there. And this, this summary statement from Jesus kind of tells us what his heart in the whole matter is. So just before we jump into the question why, I wanted you to see the heart of Jesus. And here's why. Because when you see the heart of Jesus, I, I think for those of us that have faith in him, it helps us manage better our experience in the middle of these moments where we really need a fresh start. His heart was... I want you to understand the world around you. It can be challenging. There are troubles. But I want you to have peace in the middle of it. I want you to have peace in the middle of your challenges. And if you think that's a tall order, if you think that's something hard to do, here's what you should understand about me, Jesus says, about himself. Here's what you should understand. I have overcome the world in all of its challenges and difficulties. When you put your faith in me, it has an impact on the way you experience your troubles. I've overcome the world, so you can afford, you can take the risk, you can lend yourself towards peace in the middle of the challenges. But there are still those lingering questions, why? I've experienced them. Um, I, I've told the story a, a couple of times. I won't go in, into, into great detail. But the guy who um, stood at my wedding was my best friend in high school. Uh, on his honeymoon, like five days into his honeymoon, he, he drowned on his honeymoon. And his wife had to come home with his, his body 
uh, from Mexico, and it was just a horrific experience that you could imagine. And I remember chatting with her, and it was just, why? Why? I, I heard that from the family this week in the funeral that I did just a, a couple days ago. Why? Why, why? why do we have to do this? Over and over and over again. Here, here's the truth. Why we find ourselves needing a fresh start. Here's a few just ideas. First, first concept is, I'm going to have pressure and trouble in this world, and so are you. Here's the why. Because of the fallen nature of our world. The Bible tells the story in Genesis of a perfect world in perfect harmony. And it describes it in beautiful language. That God and the creation that he created walked in perfect harmony. It, it was so harmonious that God would come down into his creation and he would walk through the garden that he made in the cool of the day, in the evening as the sun was beginning to go down, and he would talk with his creation. It was so harmonious that the created order in relationship to the man and woman who lived in it, it gave up its fruit willingly. They didn't toil for their food. There there wasn't this battle against nature like we sometimes see on the news when there's a horrific hurricane that comes through some area or a a tidal wave that they get over in, in Asia. seems like pretty regularly, more often. No, there was none of that conflict of humankind against nature. And, and maybe more to, to where we live, there was no conflict between the man and the woman. It was perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. And you get about two chapters of that in your Bible, two pages. And then by the time you're on the third page, you get the story of a perfect world gone bad. And the implications of a perfect world gone bad are huge. It seems to touch every sphere of life. That intimate connection between God and his creation, broken. The, the harmonious connection between human beings and the world that they live in, chaos. The fruit no longer comes easily. By the sweat of their brow, they will toil the soil. And you find this naked and unashamed couple on page three of your Bible facing each other, blaming each other for all the problems in their lives. And this perfect, idyllic, pastoral scene closed. And the rest of our Bible deals honestly with the fallen nature of the world. You and I are going to have challenges in this world. People we love are going to have difficulties in this world because, according to God's word, we, ha- we live in a fallen world. And the implications are huge. There's sickness There's a sinful nature inside of human beings, and sometimes you have to interact with human beings who have sinful natures. Sometimes you have to interact with yourself, your own self, who is a human being that has a sinful nature. Sinful nature plus sinful nature rarely ever does anything good for anybody. We live in a fallen world. Now, I'm going to tell you, although the Bible posits this answer to the question why, because we live in a fallen world, doesn't fully satisfy so, so, so let, me, let me give you an, another reason why in this world we're going to have pressures and trouble. Because of the sinful and foolish actions of other people. Sometimes you've come to that point where it was a roadblock. You really needed a fresh start there because of what other people have done. And this is exceptionally challenging. Because, because if you 
take responsibility for yourself and you, you look at what's going on and you say, I did that to me, I can't blame anybody. Emotionally, it's a little bit easier to bear, but when you're relatively innocent in the middle of a situation, or you look at a, at a kid who's ill and you say, they, they didn't deserve that. that. That's incredibly hard. Sometimes what happens in our lives is the direct result of other people's actions on us. Well, again, that doesn't fully satisfy. The Bible indicates over and over again that sometimes the challenges in our lives are because of what people around us have done. Now, when I turn the corner on this next one, it might sound counter, counterintuitive. And it's going to deal directly with one of the theological misconceptions that's at work in our world today, all right? So, I'm going to have problems, you're going to have problems and pressures and trouble in this world, number three, because we're followers of Jesus. Uh, let me take you to the verse first, and then, uh, and then we'll kind of unpack it and, and, and see it for just a second. Paul writes to Timothy, an early church leader, about the nature of walking with God, and he says, in fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life, that word godly simply means God-oriented. God's values are my values. I'm trying to live the way of God. Everybody that wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted, going to have challenges from real, like real flesh and blood people. There are also spiritual challenges. Your own nature is going to be at war with you as you try to press into living your life with God. So even people who are following Jesus aren't exempt from challenges. Now, sometimes people who commit their lives to Jesus, they believe that when they do that, they take Jesus at face value, uh, put your trust in me. You can have peace in the middle of your challenges. Take heart because I've overcome the world. We read that passage. They internalize that and they think that somehow now they're insulated. They're in a bubble and they don't have to then deal with the real challenges living in the middle of a fallen world. But Jesus makes it clear, and Paul unpacks it here for Timothy, that the very act and commitment you make of attempting to follow God can actually open the door to new kinds of challenges to you. In other words, we're not getting out of this world without troubles and difficulties. No one is. I'm not, you're not, people we love are not. And then the fourth reason why the Bible kind of puts out the idea that we're going to have troubles and difficulties in this world this is the hardest one, maybe, <laughs> because of my own actions, attitudes, words, choices. You and I have difficulties and challenges, sometimes hit the end of the road because of our own attitudes, words, choices, and, and actions. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, we, we use this passage a lot in our church. Do not be deceived, the Bible says. God cannot be mocked. A man, a woman, a boy, a girl, they tend to reap what they sow. The law of sowing and reaping. And sometimes the challenges in my life, I don't know about you, they're the direct result of my own words, actions, attitudes, and choices. And as I planted those seeds, eventually they began to grow and they produced challenges and difficulties. Now these, these four reasons kind of run the gamut of what God's word has to say about the question, why do these things happen? But I'm going to be straight with you. I don't think they ever fully satisfy when you're going through stuff. They give you a few things to hold on to, but they don't fully satisfy. That's why I think God's word turns the question to another, to another place. 
Rather than giving us a definitive, emotionally satisfying answer to the question, why did this thing happen to me? Why did that happen to the person I love? Why did this child go through this? Why did they have to suffer? Why do those thousands of people have to, around the world have to suffer like that? Rather than dealing with that, God's word, rather than why, ask the question, what? Like this. Not why did this happen, but what are you going to do in light of the fact that it happened? It seems like almost exclusively in God's word, when a person's going through a challenge, back to our story about Job, Job never gets a satisfying answer to the question, why? What he's constantly challenged with by his friends who do it with good heart but bad executional skills, what he's challenged by by the prophets he deals with, what he's challenged by with God's direct words to him is, Job, in light of this, what are you going to do? In light of this, what are you going to do? In light of this, where's your life going to go? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't particularly like that. I would much rather get all my questions answered in a form that's manageable and understandable. I have categories, nice, neat categories for everything. But this gets back to the heart of what Jesus was trying to say. I've told you these things. Because in this world, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have trouble. And I want you to be able to have peace in the middle of those challenges, difficulties, and struggles. And I want you to find that peace in me. And here's why you can. You can take heart in the middle of your challenges because I have overcome the world. This fallen world that we all live in. I've overcome it. In other words, not that I stepped over it, but in the middle of it, I was able to not only survive, but thrive. The Apostle Paul says it this way, that we face exceptional loss. He says, I want you to have sorrow, but not like the world has sorrow. I want you to have the kind of sorrow that in the middle of your sorrowing, you have hope. So he says it much more poetic than that. He says, We do not sorrow as the world sorrows. We sorrow with holding on to hope. And I think that the question, not why, but what are you going to do, is a more direct and clear path to having hope in the middle of our challenges, experiencing the peace that Jesus talked about in the middle of our challenges. Because it gets us thinking not just about where we are, it gets us thinking about starting, stepping over, moving forward, making the most of, enjoying what we do have while we have it. I want to take you through a handful of things that I have seen God do in the lives of people who experience significant challenges. You're going to resonate with some of this. I kind of titled this section, How God uses our problems to set us up for a fresh start. It gets to the heart of the question, what are you going to do in the middle of your stuff? All right, so you're having marriage challenges. What are you going to do? Okay, let's just acknowledge it here. It stinks. There's some real financial pressure. Got it. There it is on the paper. It's it's not an amorphous feeling. It's real. What what are you going to do? All right, the job is over. What are you going to do? Here's some of the things that God does, I think, to help us here. Now, 
<laughs> I'm, I'm going to start with, a, with just a verse from the Psalms. David kind of walking through what it was like for him to experience some challenges. Here's what he says. It was good for me to be afflicted. All right, I don't like that at all. So I'm going to read it make sure that's actually what it says. It was good for me to be afflicted. You, you ever do that? Like you read the Bible, you're like, I don't like that. Yeah, that's me. So I'm going to do it one more time. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. David says, there's something about my challenges that makes me teachable to God's stuff. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. David says, look, I don't know that I liked my affliction, but here's what I've learned. That it was good for me because in the middle of it, I learned some stuff. I learned about you, your law, your decree. The value for your way in life, that, that has gone up for me. Now, now, David wrote these words after he had, by his own actions, choices, attitudes, and words, made horrible decisions, reaped the consequences of his horrible decisions. And in the middle of experiencing the consequences, the ugliness of his horrible decisions, he says, God, in the middle of this, here's what I'm learning. Like, your way's pretty good. Your, your way's pretty good. The what in the middle of David's challenges was valuing God's life, the godly life, at a higher level than he had, and he actually said that was of benefit to him. So let, let me tell you some ways that God uses our problems to set us up for fresh starts. God uses my problems, your problems, to direct my steps. I, I hate to admit this to you, but when everything's perfect and I don't have any challenges in front of me or obvious ones in front of me, um, I tend to become very self-reliant. I tend to be very comfortable with who I am and where I'm going, and I feel very much in charge of my world, and all of that isn't bad. Some of that's very healthy and very good. But for those of us that are following Jesus, God is the one who's supposed to be piloting our lives. We use the phrase around here, he becomes the Lord of our lives. Now, what I have discovered, what the Bible seems to make clear, that in the middle of our challenges, the what for us is, God, what do you want me to do? God, would you direct my steps in this situation? So there's the financial thing. God, direct my steps. There's the marriage thing. God, you direct my steps. There's the illness. God, you direct my steps. There's the transition I didn't anticipate. God, you direct my steps. The Bible seems to say that in the middle of our challenges, rather than spending a lot of time explaining why, although there might be some hints at an answer, maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody else did to you. Maybe it's just the nature of the world. Rather than focusing on that, the Bible seems to say, now, what are you going to do? Are you going to, in this case, let God direct your steps? Are you going to grab hold of heaven as best as you know how in the middle of this challenge and pull God's values into your life in this troubling time? It's what happens at funerals. We do this very, very well at funerals. No, ma no matter where a person is, generally speaking, I know not true in every case, no matter where a person is in their journey of faith, at a funeral, people want, and it's totally appropriate, to talk about matters of faith and God and relationship and eternity, even if they never really had time for that before. What, what are they doing? They're pulling heaven's values down to earth. God says, through example and an explicit teaching in the Bible, that's a good thing. So one of the ways that we can experience, begin to experience a fresh start, not be stuck in the middle of our challenge, just say, God, is there something you want to teach me here? Is there some value you want me to grab hold of and pull into my life? 
So in the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 30, here's what it says. See if you can relate. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. I had a painful experience at, uh, just after our Christmas Eve Eve service. Do you remember how awesome that was? Ma- amazing. Christmas Eve Eve. We had uh, 1,300 people here in house over the three services. It was incredible. Pictures all over Facebook. I was so excited. I'm thrumming through them. And wow, kids, it's awesome. This room was awesome. Lights were awesome. Smoke was awesome. And then there was a picture of the preacher for the night. He, he was very large, rotund. Looked like he could have been Santa Claus. I thought he looked like he was about to give birth to the baby Jesus. Now, the challenge was it was me. Very painful. And so I looked at that thing, and I said to my wife, not soon after, I said, here's the thing. Uh, we're going to go on a diet. I knew I couldn't do it alone. We are going on a diet. And so I waited three weeks to get started. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. And in fact, I didn't even really get started. I caught the flu, lost 10 pounds over four days. At the end of losing 10 pounds over four days, I said to her, we have officially started our diet. We're way ahead of the game. Sometimes painful experiences pull you into wanting to change your ways. Anybody else ever been there, right? Anybody? Let me tell you another way God uses our problems to set us up for a fresh start. Sometimes God uses my problems to reveal the quality of my faith to me. Peter, early leader in the church, close friend with Jesus, James and John. Later in his life, he writes a letter, and in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, he uses these words. He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. So our faith is greater value to us than gold may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I think we regularly underestimate the, the value of our faith to our Heavenly Father. I mean, by faith, I mean that trust we put in Him. Not just the trust we put in Him, but as, it, as we do that, the way it becomes a guiding, directing light in our lives. I think we underestimate the value of our faith and trust in our Heavenly Father. And so regularly, God uses the challenges and difficulties in our lives to refine us to show us the quality of our own faith, to make us hunger and thirst, in Jesus' words, after righteousness, God's way in our lives. So in the middle of of my difficulties, in the middle of your difficulties, in the middle of the difficulties of people we love, one of the things God's trying to do is show us the quality of our faith in hopes that, like looking in a mirror before we go out for an important appointment, we just make sure we look okay. You You fix the hair, you straighten the shirt, you... You make sure that your priorities are aligned. And this is why at funerals, people say good things. They think about family. They, they hearken back to the qualities that make that person have value and worth. It's that introspective things that happens. And God doesn't want us to do it just about the, the dressing of our lives. He wants to do, us to do that about the things that are at the core of what's important to us. Our faith, our relationship with God. Sometimes it's the very challenges that we face that give us a, a jump start on our faith. Like the, the paddles in the emergency room that shocks us back into living again. So God uses the problems to set us up for a fresh start by directing our steps sometimes. 
by using the problems to reveal the quality of our faith. God uses our problems, my problems, to teach me and sometimes to adjust my perspective. I read this to you earlier, but the suffering, uh, the same sentiment earlier, but in Psalm 119, verse 71, David again, because he's just mulling it over and over again, he says, the suffering you sent was good for me. It taught me to pay attention to your principles. It adjusts our perspective. When Jill and I had to make a couple transitions geographically, um, they, weren't, they weren't always the direct result of us just saying, there's a great opportunity. Sometimes we were managing some challenges in front of us. And what we've discovered in our marriage, it may not be true for you, and it hasn't always happened, but when we face challenges, if we can rally together, no matter what's going on with the challenges, we're better in the middle of it. We're stronger in the middle of it. Our perspective, our value for each other goes up as we rally and help each other face things. Our kids have been sick like your kids have. Our kids have not always made wise decisions like I'm sure some of your kids haven't made wise decisions, although it's very clear your kids are all better than mine. I get it, preacher's kids, right? But you know why preacher's kids aren't great, right? I'm going to tell you straight up, here's a secret, because they play with your kids. And your kids are... Your kids are a horrible influence on my kids. That's, that's what that's all about. Right? So, but when we face these challenges, coming together, that perspective, it makes us drill down and say, what's really important? We've had to ask the question like you, what if we lost it all? What would we have left? Those are clarifying for us. They help us actually not just simply step over a challenge, but to look at it, bring the values of heaven a bit into the middle of the thing. And it gives us a certain desire and motivation then to have a fresh start in the middle. The energy to actually begin. It's not one thing exclusively that makes that happen. It's looking for where is God? God, what, not why, God, what do you want me to do in light of this? What should I know? Where should I go? These are very, very helpful questions. Sometimes God uses my problems to further his purpose. Do you remember the story of Joseph in your Old Testament? Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, accused of crimes he didn't commit and finds himself in prison. Resist the advances of his boss's wife, and as a direct result, his life goes into chaos. And later in his, life, in his life, he has a reunion with his brothers, and it's apparent that it's Joseph, and they are terrified that Joseph, who is now second in command, is going to exact revenge on them. And here's what Joseph uses to describe the problems that he had faced, problems that would have done most of us in. Joseph, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, says these words to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God. You did this, but God. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. There's something powerful that happens not when you park yourself at why, but when you begin to ask yourself, God, what purpose do you have in this? What are you trying to get done, God? What would you like me to focus on? What would you like me to see? For Joseph, 
All the stuff that people meant against him, God was orchestrating, God was going to use to actually elevate and promote God's agenda in Joseph's life to the benefit of Joseph and to the benefit of the people he loved. And I'm going to suggest to you that even though that's Joseph's story, that's exactly what God wants to do in your life, in my life. Elevate his purposes for your benefit on a, on a value scale that sometimes runs completely different than ours, but is almost always better. And usually we can even experience the fact that it's better. We can know it. God wants to work his purposes, even in the middle of difficulties. Here's the last thing I would say about what, how God uses our, our problems to set us up for a fresh start. God uses my problems to mature my faith, to grow me up a bit. And your faith maturity, the quality of your faith, is a big deal to God. Your ability to trust him, to put your hope in his character, not just in what you think he should do for you, that he really is good. And he can be trusted with your eternal soul and also with the details of your everyday life here on earth. So James writes these words about our faith. They, they sound foreign to me. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, a stick-with-itness, a tenacity, a fortitude. And then he says, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's heart in the middle of it when he's maturing our faith isn't to make us experience pain. He's not some cosmic sadist who enjoys watching the people he loves suffer. No, he's the parent who's guiding and directing and developing and molding and shaping. So consider it joy. I'm going to be honest, I don't typically consider it joy until way on the back end. But to the degree that I can pull those values of God, God, in the middle of this, I don't know what else you're doing. I don't know, and I don't know why it all happened, but I do know this. What you want to do is shape, mold, and develop my faith so that I lack nothing. That begins to help. It begins to bring some of the peace that Jesus was talking about. So, on our screens, here are the five things. The five things that I think God would like us to ask in the middle of our challenges. Number one, is he directing? Is he directing? Is he directing you? Is that what he's doing? Is he revealing anything? Is, is there something in the middle of this that he wants to reveal to you? Is he teaching you anything? Is there something he wants to teach you about you, about the world, about himself? So that in grabbing hold of that experiential knowledge, it changes the way you engage life and the people around you. Is this challenge one of the very ways that he's going to further his purpose in your life? Can I tell you the number of people I've met who face challenges? And then God used that exact story of the challenge to become a catapult into significant ministry and impact on other people's lives. Is he maturing my faith? Take a look at that list. I don't know what God's wanting to do in your life. But asking that question, God, what do you want to do? And then thinking about these ways that the scripture seems to reveal to us that God uses challenges. I think 
I've experienced it. I think that while it doesn't clear all the fog, and it doesn't make it easy necessarily, it does begin to bring the values of heaven, the peace that Jesus talked about, into my present reality. And that's what I want for you. In the middle of your difficulties, when the people you love, when you yourself are going through challenges, you can ask yourself, God, would you give me strength to have a fresh start here? Would you give me the strength to move forward here? Because deep down, I'm trusting you. Why don't you grab out your connect card and let's uh, take a few steps together. Next step A for us every single week is we want people to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. You do that by simply putting your faith and trust in Jesus. You agree with what the Bible says about you, that you're not perfect. You've made mistakes. You're a sinner is what the Bible says. And you ask God to cover your sin by the blood of his son, Jesus, that he shed on the cross and then was resurrected from the, from the grave. And you, you, you say, Lord Jesus, you're the Lord of the universe. I would like you to be the Lord of my life. I invite you in into the driver's seat. If you want to do that, here's what we ask you to do. Check next step A. And when our offering buckets come by at the end of the service, you put your your Connect card in the offering bucket. And we're going to communicate with you this week via email, as long as your name and email is legible on the card, about what it means to follow Jesus. And then in a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And you can use your own words. You can use mine as I kind of lead you in that, to look to God and say, God, I want to give you my life. I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. Now, how about next step B? You want to get baptized? And go public with your faith in Christ and let everybody know that your life is in Christ now and he's in you. Typically when I baptize people, I say it this way. Because he's more committed to you than you're ever going to be to him. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then when they come up out of the water symbolizing that they're clean, this church celebrates. If you haven't done that yet, why don't you check the card and let us communicate with you about that. Or how about next step C? Is there anybody that would join with me in memorizing John 16, 33? It's a little longer than the ones I give, so it's only for those that are, you know, going for the, uh, the bonus points with God. By the way, it doesn't work that way, all right? So just John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world I, you, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. All right, how about next step D? Anybody would pray this prayer with me every day this week? God help me anticipate the good you're working in my life. God, help me anticipate the good you're working in my life. Did you notice the theme that I kept going back to? God's doing something in the middle of your challenges, and it's good for you. It's good for me, and that helps us bring the values of heaven right into where we are, that kind of trust in him. Or how about next step E? I'm interested in leading a 4C small group. It's the last chance to express that interest on your connect card, and then next week we'll be transitioning on to other stuff. We have a great, great offering of small groups coming up for the summer. If you are interested at all or have questions, check it. We'll be in communication with you. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can trust you, that our challenges, though they are a surprise to us, they're not a surprise to you, and that in the middle of everything we face, you are working your good purpose in our lives. God, help us to trust you on the deepest levels, to look for your activity and to ask of ourselves and to ask you, God, what would you have me do? And God, may that catapult us to fresh starts. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person in this room who's declaring, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, lead my life. I want to commit my life to you. 
Lord, I pray for those in this room that are going through significant difficulty and challenge, that my words today would not sound trite or shallow, but they would find in them the echo of their heavenly Father calling out to them. I'm here for you. I care about you. I love you. You're not forgotten. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.